0: God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And God's ways are not our ways. And so it's important that you understand that God is not just there reacting and without, you know, without a plan. God is sovereign. God is in control. And so we see Paul starting off in chapter 9 with his heart breaking for his fellow Israelites his heart is breaking he is crying out in anguish that he wishes that they would have recognized Jesus as the Messiah like they saw the miracles and they they witnessed these wonderful things happening but they didn't recognize they thought we're good with God because we're Israel. Like we're the first nation that God ever revealed himself to and God made Abraham all of these ridiculous promises. And so since I'm a descendant of Abraham, I'm all set, I'm all good. And Paul begins to address that. He says not all the descendants of of Abraham are truly God's children. So it's really, really important, family, that we don't get caught up in what in appearances and what looks like. Well, they look like they're for God. Well, they look like they're doing everything they possibly can to stop the things of God. You need to keep this in your mind, family. God has a plan in point number one my beautiful family it's important that you know this Israel's rejection of God of Jesus then and of Jesus now Israel's rejection of Jesus has not eliminated them from God's plan what security would you and I have if God could write off an entire nation of people What security do you and I have that there won't be a mistake or a a sin that we stumble into, that God wouldn't just decide one day, you know what, I'm done with you. How many are thankful for the grace and the mercy of God that are new every morning? It's important that you just don't read the Bible, family, but you dissect it and you you study it. That word end there, for Christ is the goal, the goal of the law it can be possible for you to sincerely believe something and be absolutely wrong. He says it's always been about the heart. It's it's always been, it's not been about the show. It's not been about the outward, how people see us or how people perceive us. It's always been with the heart, Paul says always had a remnant of people. When we read their mistakes, it wasn't all, it wasn't the entire nation of Israel that turned their back on God. God's always had a faithful few. It's so great to see you guys. I'm so glad you're here and today, we are wrapping up our series, A Walk Through Romans, and I have to tell you, in these last five years that I've been your pastor, this series, more than any other series that we have walked through, have I heard from you guys about how much you're learning, how, much, how many light bulb moments you're having, like your emails and postcards and stopping me up the front, and I just want you to know it's my favorite book of the Bible, so you don't know how excited that makes me that you have fallen in love with the book of Romans. And so today we're wrapping it up, family. And remember, it's important that as we wrap this up, I'm going to refresh your mind about the author, the audience, and the application. Okay. And so the author, the author is the, who, what we know is the apostle Paul. And so, if you remember, before he gave his life to Jesus, he went by Saul as Tarsus. He was a Jew's Jew. I mean, this was a guy, a Pharisee, who was on his way to being the number one Pharisee, okay? Remember, he would go into people's homes who he found out were followers of Jesus Christ and he would tear them away from their families and throw them into jail. He was on his way to being the number one dude number one Pharisee until he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ and so from that moment on he was like man on fire for Jesus so that's the author the audience now it's important even as we wrap up today that I remind you of the audience the audience who would have been who would have heard this letter being read they would have been Jewish people who converted, who gave their life to Jesus Christ. They gave their life to Jesus, but they continued to go to synagogue and continued to the Jewish rituals and rites. It's important that you understand, family, that once they gave their life to Jesus, they didn't stop being Jews, you know what I mean? And so even Paul, Paul gave his life to Jesus, but he continued to go to synagogue because the synagogue would have been the only place where people could have heard the Holy Scriptures being read. Remember, there was no New Testament yet. It was only the Old Testament, the histories, and the law of Moses. And the synagogue would have been the only place where they could have heard the Scriptures being read. So it would have been Jewish converts, and it would have been Gentile converts. So you remember what I told you about the Gentiles? They were a hot mess. They were worshiping idols and into all kinds of sexual immorality, and they were a mess. So this would have been a group of people that that were not of the Jewish faith, who came by the leading of the Holy Spirit to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so the audience is very important, family. Paul knew that This was a recipe for disaster. You've got now these Jewish converts, you've got these Gentile converts who are going to synagogue with Jewish people who are non-believers, that is a recipe for disaster. And that applies to every church today. We look around this room, family, there are people we look different, we think differently, A recipe for disaster, right? And I always say this: if there's a church and there's only one person there, great. But the second time, the the, the second you add another person, that's a recipe for disaster, right? Differing opinions and differing ideas. And so what Paul wrote to them was absolutely pertinent for them, and it is absolutely applicable and pertinent for us today. So that's the audience. He knew this church was not founded by an apostle. And so he was like, I need to write these people so that they know how to behave. And so what we get to do, we have the luxury now of looking back, reading this letter written to the people in Rome and learning. We have this luxury of of having the word of God before us, and we can get into it, and we can read it, and it's so important today, family, that you apply this to yourself, okay? That we're not looking around and saying, well, hmm, she needs to hear that message, or he needs to hear this one. That we'll look at ourselves first. The application is going to be very, very clear as we jump into what is our final message in our walk through Romans, And so I titled my message today, family, True Christian Living. What do Christians look like? What are things that Christians participate in and what are things that Christians absolutely are to have no part of? Paul knew that it was very important for the, for the new believers back then, and it's very, very important for us as believers today to know what a true Christian looks like. That it was possible and happening back then that there were people saying, yep, I'm a Christian now, I follow Jesus and live in any old kind of way. And there are people today And as I said, it's important that we examine ourselves. There are people today, yep, who me? Oh yeah, I love me some Jesus and live in any old kind of way. And so Paul is writing, and of all the Bible scholars and different ones that I study, the larger percentage of them all believe this family, that the reason Paul wrote this letter is all summed up in these last few chapters. He knew that these people who were following Christ in Rome in Rome at the time were so different that there was the possibility that this church could implode. This church could just turn on themselves and they could begin to devour one another. And so many, many Bible scholars believe that the whole point of him writing this letter was to get to these last few chapters to teach us what we should look like because a lost and broken world they're watching us And so it was Paul's hope, if you'll remember last week in chapters 9, 10, and 11, we see the heart of the apostle Paul breaking for his fellow Israelites, like really breaking. He even went so far as to say, man, I really want you guys to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if I thought that me turning my back on Jesus would cause you guys to follow him, I would be willing to do that. I would be willing to just become sinful all over again if it meant you guys would give your life to Jesus. What he was saying in that moment is he was showing us a picture of Jesus. Jesus became sin for us so that we could know the Father. And so we see his heart breaking. He's like, I want my fellow Jews to know Jesus. And he's writing this letter. He's wrapping this up. He's saying the way that they will come to faith in Jesus Christ is by watching all of you new converts. So it's important how you behave because they're all watching. And I'm here to tell you today, my beautiful family, it's important how we behave because the people of Decatur and Mount Zion and Cerro Gordo and Forsyth and Macon, but the people in our area, the people that we live beside and the people that we work beside, and the people in our families, they're watching us. And so he breaks it down in these last few chapters about how we should look and how we should behave. And so let's jump into this, family. True Christian living. What does it look like? All right, let's jump in. His heart is pouring out again. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And they would have understood this immediately, that when Paul was saying, present your body, he was saying, all of you, your heart, your mind, your soul, your actions, your behavior, just present everything that you are to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable and perfect. And so he's saying, I want you all to just start by doing this. Recognize that you all belong to God. Just surrender all of you, every thought, every opinion, every action, just present that to God as a living sacrifice. And the Jewish people of that time family would have known instantly what he meant because they made sacrifices at the temple. And so it's so cool, I want you to see this just real quick here. He's saying, I want you all to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Well, only the priests were able to present sacrifices, and so he's saying what we are, family, is we are the temple, we are the priest, the Bible calls us a royal priesthood, and we are the sacrifice, just like Jesus. Jesus is the temple. You can destroy this temple, and in three days it'll rise again. Remember, he was the priest. He's our great high priest. And he was the sacrifice of atonement for us. So do you see when we behave like Jesus, we mirror him? Do you see that? And so Paul is just saying, all of you, just present everything that you are to God so that you can understand what his will is. It's important that when he's talking about the will of God, it's important that you know the only way they understood what the will of God is was by the rules and regulations that God gave to Moses. I want you to behave like this. I want you to do this. I want you to have no part in this. And so when Paul says, I want you to be able to, to discern what the will of God is, he's saying, I want you to make sure that the rules and regulations that you are abiding by those things. And so you'll see in a little bit, family, that this argument of, well, Paul says the law, we're not under the law anymore. That doesn't make any sense. It just, He didn't say, he all, you know, the law has not been abolished, that, that it is perfect and good and holy, and that it doesn't change. And it was good. So he never would have said, all right, now that you're a Christian, you can do whatever you want. Forget the law. No. The only way they knew how to live was by what God gave, what God revealed in the law of Moses. And so he's saying, you Gentiles who are saying, yep, I gave my life to Jesus. I don't care about the, the Jewish traditions and and rituals. I, I, I can do whatever I want. I gave my life to Jesus, but I can still live any old kind of way. He's like, no, you can't. He's like, you have a greater responsibility but I want all of you to just humbly submit yourself to God. He goes on to say that, You all have lots of different gifts to offer the Lord, and you you all come from different backgrounds, but you're one body. You're one body of believer, it's believers. It's one body of Christ, and he's like, there is a distinction that all Christians should have. If no one else on this planet has it, all Christians should have this one characteristic. He goes on in verse nine to say, I want you to let love be what, family? Genuine. Have you ever experienced false love, fake love, where as long as you're doing what I want you to do, I like ya. As long as you're always agreeing with me and thinking I'm great, that he says, I want you to let love be genuine because you're a Christian. You're a follower of Christ now. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. He is driving this point home, family. Love one another. Would you shout, love one another. Love one another. With brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor. And so the idea is this, Phil, you're not going to out-honor me. Nope, I'm going to honor you. No, Pastor Matt, I'm going to honor you. No, you're not. I'm going to beat you, Phil. I'm going to out-honor you. That the Christian life should be marked by honor and love for one another. That if there's a characteristic that we all share in common, and there are many, but he's saying if there is one, it should be genuine love. What people should hear about you and feel from you is this genuine love. And then he goes and he drives this point even further in verse 18. He says, This family, it's so important that you see this. Can you change the slide, please, with me? Thank you. If possible, I'm just going, I'm like, help me out here. If possible, the responsibility is on us. So far as it depends on you, family. Live peaceably with all. Yeah, but I've got a right to have my opinions. I get to say... He's saying, you know what Christians do? Christians understand that the highest purpose that we have on this planet is sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but I have a right to... to, to." He says, Christians check themselves before they wreck themselves. Christians understand that how the world, the non-believers, should see us behaving is having our opinions, having our differences, but you know what? I love you, and I'm glad you are who you are. I'm not gonna allow my differences to keep us apart I'm not gonna do it. And so I like to say it this way, family. Paul is setting us up for what real servanthood looks like. I like to say it like this, point number one, family. The Christian life, the Christian life should be lived as a race to the back of the line. A race to the back of the line. You know what? Nope, you're not gonna beat me, Dan. Like, no, I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna serve, no, I'm gonna serve you, Pastor, but no, you come before me, you come that as a christian serving others putting the needs of others in front of ourselves should be a distinguishing characteristic what we're doing is we're racing to the back of the line oh no you go in front of me you go in front of me oh no 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 you go in front of me the idea is is we're all trying to outserve each other cuz that's what jesus did So no, oh no, Dave, no, you come before me. No, Pastor Matt, really, come on, you go before me. No, if we're in a buffet line, that might look a little bit different. No, Pastor Matt, you go before me, okay. (laughs) But that's the idea is we're out serving one another. And then he continues this idea in chapter 13, and he starts talking about what it looks like, how we should respond to those in leadership over us. Look at this family in 13. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And we don't always like that, right? When they get in our, our pocketbooks for taxes and stuff. For there is no authority except from God. And those that have those that exist have been instituted by God. So here's the important thing that you need to understand. Paul is talking about two separate entities here. He's talking about those who are in leadership in the synagogue because some of the Gentiles were showing up, you guys, and they didn't know how to behave in church. You know what I mean? They didn't know how to behave in synagogue. And so they were just showing up being their old ignorant selves, you know? And I can just imagine some of them burping and some of them cussing, you know? everyone. Hey, I love Jesus, but I still cuss a little. You know what I mean? (laughs) That kind of thing. So he was like, look, look, look. The the synagogue leaders, they, they have been instituted by God. Like you need to just, you know, you need to show, make sure you're being a reflection of Christ when you're in the synagogue. But he's also talking about leadership in general. He's saying to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if what people see from you all the time is you're just always rebelling against someone over your boss or your, you, you know, your pastor, thank God we don't have that problem here. Uh, when I talk to other pastors, you guys, and they tell me some of, the, some of the nightmares that they've lived through, I'm like, oh, Jesus, I love my church family. I love my church family, Jesus. But he's saying every, anyone that you find yourself under, that they're in leadership over you, you just, the way Christians behave, is it's like, you know what, God? Well, I think we ought to be doing this. Well, I want to do, you know what, God? You didn't make me the leader. (laughs) I'm not running this company, or I'm not in charge of this small group, or I'm not, you know what, God? I'm just going to humble myself because that's what Christ would do. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm just going to trust you that you've instituted this leadership that's over me. And then he goes even further, family, in verse 10. He says, love does no wrong. No wrong? wait a minute, love does no wrong to a neighbor. And you remember when anytime, a few times when Jesus talked about neighbor, people were like, okay, then Jesus, who's my neighbor? And he's like, anybody and everybody, you know? So it's like, love does no wrong to anyone. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And this verse can be a little bit confusing, but here's exactly what he's talking about. When God gave the law to Moses, It was an incredible act of mercy and love. It was God coming out to people and saying, here's what you do to please me. Here's what you do to start a relationship with me. So this idea of grace versus law and, no. It was an incredible act of grace that God gave the law so that people could begin to get to know his ways. And so he's saying the idea is that the Jewish people would've obeyed the law out of their love for God. But what we saw them doing is keep being wishy-washy, didn't we? They kept, okay, God, you are our God, and then the next moment, why are we out here in Egypt? You should've just, you're in the desert, you should've left us in Egypt. You know what I mean? We see them going back and forth. And so Paul is saying, true love in God? Like for someone to say, oh yeah, I love me some Jesus, That means you love people that look differently than you and think differently than you and maybe even behave differently than you. That's fulfilling the law. And then he wraps it up by saying this, family. He says, Remember, remember you guys, no one's on this planet forever. No one lives forever. He says, Besides this, you know the time. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. Come on, wake up, wake up. You're you're here for a purpose. Wake up, wake up. Stop living just for you. Wake up. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And what he's saying here is, and I want you to get this, family. You know every morning that we wake up, we're one day closer to Jesus coming back. Do you know that? Every, every morning we wake up, it's like, okay, you didn't come back yesterday, Jesus. It could be today. Every day is like one step closer. So he's saying, remember who you are and remember whose you are. Don't get caught up in these petty little arguments. Remember why you're here. Remember the most important thing about you. So he's establishing these behaviors and how we should do family. I think you'll agree with me on point number two. It's simply this, God's love in us causes us to behave differently than people who don't know him. We behave, there are things that we absolutely don't ever find ourselves doing. There are things that we stand up for and and certainly when everybody else is squabbling and fussing and fighting, you know what can be said of us is we love one another. Even in our differences, right? We, we have the ability because God's love is in us to so just be like, you're my sister. You're my brother and we may not always agree on everything. And Paul is saying that's what Christians do. What Christians do is just say, I love you though. We don't have to agree on everything. Like, Because we behave differently than people in the world who fuss and squabble over every little thing. That's not how believers behave. Then, family, we get to chapters 14 and 15. <laughs> and here it is, a whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, Paul realizes. That this group of people that are together, they could absolutely devour one another. And so I've got to make sure that I get this into them. Paul directly starts talking to them and to us about our rights. Well, I think this and I believe this and I actually have a right to think that. I actually have a right to feel that, he had, and he knows that the, the new Jewish converts, that they, 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 they'll be tempted to look at the Gentiles and be like, ugh, they're so gross, you guys, they're just, they're just you know, and up until now, we were told to be separate from them, like they're just, ugh, ugh. he knew that the Gentile mentality could have been like, and now they're in synagogue, Blah, you know what I mean, and that the Gentiles could have been just like, I love Jesus, that's good enough, I can live however I want to live. (laughs) So you know what I mean? There's no standards, there's no, I just need to say I love Jesus and that's all that matters. He knew this could be a recipe for disaster. And so my whole life family, whenever I've heard these two chapters taught, it was with this idea that the weak were new Jewish converts and that the strong were Gentile converts. Please, it's so important that you hear your pastor. There is no way that Paul would have ever called a Jewish convert to Christianity weak. It's what he wanted. It, it was the thing that he was saying, I'd be willing to deny Christ if it meant you all would find Christ. Why would he ever write then about the Jewish? Believers in Jesus Christ, why would he ever call them weak? He never would have, family. He never would have said anybody that's a follower of Jesus and still like living according to the word of God, living according to the rules and regulations are weak. He was doing that. Do you understand that when they became believers in Jesus Christ, they didn't stop being Jewish. And so he never would have called a, new, a, a, a Jewish convert to faith in Christ, he never would have called them weak. What he was doing here, he knew the potential for danger. And he's saying, all you believers in Jesus Christ, I'm hoping, my family, you got to get this. I'm hoping that by the way you guys love each other, that the non-Jewish Um, the non-believing Jews, I'm hoping that when they look at you you guys, they'll be like, oh, there must be something to this this faith in Jesus because look, look how they're getting along. Look how they're loving one another. Paul was hoping that the Jewish converts and the Gentile converts would live in such a way that the non-believing Jews would be like, I want what they have. So he never would have called a believing, a Christ-believing Jew weak. That would have been an insult. And that would have gone against his very prayer. And so when we look at this family, I want you to look in the original context that it was written. He was talking about people who don't have faith in Jesus, Jews who don't have faith in Jesus. And for our application, it's for anyone that we're around that we would have influence over, that maybe knows that we're a Christian and they're watching to see how we behave. They're watching to see what we post. They're watching to see. Paul is trying to get us to understand. They're watching. It matters what you say. It matters how you behave because they're watching. They can't see God. They can't see Jesus. They're looking at you. And so these next two chapters, family, he drives home this point. As for the one who is weak, the one one who is weak in faith. Remember what he said about his Jewish brothers and sisters that they were doing the works of the law separate from faith, right? Separate from faith. That was their error. They were doing it separate from faith. The one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But, but not to quarrel over opinions. <laughs> Welcome him. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. And you need to know that by and large, whenever Jewish people would fellowship with Gentiles, they would not eat meat because of, the lot of the, a lot of the meat back then had been sacrificed to idols. And so they would just eat vegetables. And so Paul knew this could be a reason for them to squabble and scrap with each other. He was like, well, the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. He's like, God wants all of us. Every one of us. He even goes so far as to say in verse 13, family, therefore... Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Now let me break this down for you. Paul knew that there was this potential and it was happening that they were scrapping over these filthy Gentiles here and they're eating their meat and they're doing all their thing. He's saying, you know what? Let it be said of those of us who follow Jesus that we love anyone and everyone, that there are people in this room, there are followers of Jesus Christ in this room and watching and they think, you think it's absolutely wrong for a Christian to have one sip of alcohol. If you do, you're going straight to hell. There are Christians then and now who I'm like, I'm having a beer. I don't care what you think. I'm having a glass of wine with dinner, I don't care. I'm not talking about getting filthy drunk. but We have different opinions, and so did they. And so what Paul is saying is, look, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, the point is, don't think that you have a right to do something or not do something if it's going to cause someone to stumble. He's saying, if you have ever struggled with what's my purpose on this planet, what am I doing here? He's saying, I want to bring it into crystal clear focus for you. Eat whatever you want when you're alone. Drink whatever you want when you're alone. But he's saying this, don't ever do anything that would slam the door shut on someone receiving Jesus Christ. That's the purpose that you're here. And he's not saying, I think anything, that everything is clean and all things are permissible. Just do whatever you want, because some of the Gentiles were doing that. And so he's like, no, I would never tell you that because that would be against the will of God. That would be against the law and the rules and regulations that we know God told us to live by. And so for us today, family, yes, we're Christians. There are things that we should have no part of. There are things that we must stand up for as believers but he's saying you're right as a human being, you lay that down because the most important reason we're here is to share the message of Jesus Christ. He goes on in chapter 15 and the main thrust of this is verse one in chapter 15 and he says this family, we who are strong, those of us who have found Christ, we have what family, an option? No, we have an Obligation. obligation. To bear with the failings of the weak. Oh, I don't know why she keeps doing that. She's so stupid. I don't know why he thinks that way. He's so immature. We have an obligation to love people through their weakness. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. To build him up. We're not going around looking down our noses, passing our judgment on, on people that don't think the way we do or behave. We understand they don't know Jesus, and we're hoping that they would look to us. We have an obligation, family, to live our lives in such a way that people will look at us and be like, whatever they have, I want. Why do they have all this peace when I know that all hell's breaking loose in their life? Why are they filled with joy when the economy is this? or when why, don't? they know what's going on? People are looking to us to be a reflection of Christ. And we can't allow anything to slam that door shut, family. I wanna bring this back to your attention. I know you all know it, but I want you to agree with me on point number three, family. There is nothing more important than sharing the good news of Jesus, there is nothing more important in our lives than share than telling people about Christ. Nothing like it doesn't matter where you live, where you work, how much you have, how much you don't have, um, how you vote. It doesn't matter, you, you know, if you're highly educated or no educated. Like Paul is saying, remember, remember why you're here. There are always gonna be lots of things that cause division. There are always gonna be lots of opinions and lots of reasons for us to just break fellowship, to break relationship with each other. There are always gonna be things that, that have the potential of separating us. Our responsibility is this, family. When you find yourself in conflict with a brother or a sister, that you leave room for the Holy Spirit, that you're listening for the Holy... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what's most important? You're my brother. You're my sister, I disagree with you on this, I disagree with you on that, I disagree. We can go all day, but you know what I agree on? Is that Jesus Christ is the head of my life and I recognize that you are one of his children and that causes me to lay down any opinion because there's no opinion that I can hold that is more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're my brother, you're my sister, and I love you. That's what's most important. So we've always gotta be listening for the Holy Spirit. In chapter 16, family, most Bible scholars believe this was the reason that Paul wrote this letter. The verse that I lifted from chapter 16 is so powerful, family. Paul says, I'm begging you. Appeal, I am begging you. And you know what, family? I ain't too proud to beg. (laughs) As your pastor, I am begging you. Brothers, I appeal to you, GT Church, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, the Word of God says where to do what, family? Avoid them. For such persons do not serve the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. family it's unfortunate that not everybody that says they're for you is for you and so it's important that we keep watch it's important that we stay in step with the holy spirit one of my primary responsibilities here as the pastor of gt church the under shepherd jesus is the shepherd the great shepherd but i'm the under shepherd that he has established that i'm the leader of this flock It sounds funny to think of yourself as sheep, doesn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm a shepherd, I'm a shepherd. But one of my primary responsibilities is to be on the watch for anyone that would cause division or strife. And I want to tell you, you guys, I take that responsibility very, very seriously because you're under my leadership. You're on my watch. And so I have to make sure that I don't allow anybody to to teach you something or to go somewhere with you that is against the word of God. My opinions don't matter. What matters is is does it stand up to the word of God? And so I want to challenge you in this family. Paul didn't want that new fledgling group of believers to eat each other up to destroy and there is nothing that crushes the heart of a pastor than to see his people turning on one another, devouring one another. And so Paul is saying, (laughs) Paul is saying this, they'll know we are Christians by our love. But I disagree with it. Yeah, but what about well, how about that time when she, well, but he said that he, there will always be things, family, that we can look at and just say, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> I wouldn't have done that. You know what? I wouldn't have said that. You know what? I wouldn't have posted that. There will always be things that we can look at and say, yeah. but the heart of Jesus Christ and the heart of your pastor is that we'll remember who we are we are. The reason we're a family is not because we all think alike. It's not. The reason we're a family is because I see Jesus in you. I see Jesus in you, and it makes me love you. Ron, Will you come down here real quick? Just real quick, Ron, would you run? Help me with something. Would you just help me with something, Ron? Come up here. Come up here with me. Like, look at this guy, you guys. Tall, good-looking. I mean, like, would you, would you all just think I was nuts if I told you, this is my brother. My mom didn't give birth to him, and his mom didn't give birth to me. But in every sense, I have got your back. I, If someone's coming at you you can best believe I'm right there. You got to get through me now Look at this. You got to get through me to get this. This looks better. Doesn't it? This looks better You got to get through him to get to me. What's up now? What's up? now? He's my brother. Thank you so much. He's he's my brother and there are more things that bring us together than divide us remember family remember You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's the number one goal and mission of our lives. Would you all bow your head and close your eyes? Jesus. Woo, wow. Get it into us, God. (laughs) This has been something. This has been just digesting your word, Lord. Help us to live it out. Help us to be a reflection of you, Jesus. We want people when they see us to see love in action, to feel your love working in us and through us, Jesus. Help us to be that kind of church, that kind of individual. If you'll keep your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you don't know Jesus, I'm gonna say a prayer and give you an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. If that's you and you don't ever remember a time where you invited him in, would you say this? Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner but I ask you today, come into my life, take away all my sin, all my shame, renew my mind. From now on, Jesus, I belong to you in your powerful name, amen, amen. Man, I love you guys from the bottom of my heart, family.
1: Wasn't that good? It's a good word. It was a good word. You know, as he was speaking this morning, I this little phrase ran through my mind, and I know it's not good English, but sometimes that sticks with us more than other things. It ain't about you. This life is not about me. It's not all about you. And we live in a generation right now that it seems like we are told from all aspects, it's all about me. If it makes me uncomfortable, if I don't have to do something a little bit extra, you know, Take care of yourself But God says That life is more than Just you Life is more than just that family That you're in Life is your life should be living for other people your life should be realizing that i want to be a testimony so much that people will look at me and say i want the god that is inside her i want to know more about that we need to be that kind of witnesses so i'm just going to challenge you this week as you go just think this life it ain't about me god bless you have a great week